And uh, yeah, over the years, I've, I've noticed that a lot of Father's Day sermons tend to be sermons that, that beat up on the fathers. Yeah, we had we had one uh, pastor who uh, w- he refused to give a f- Mother's Day or Father's Day. He said, "You know, that's a that's a that's a Hallmark holiday. You know, it's uh, something that's uh, you know it's commercialized." He wouldn't even do it, but uh, you know, I, th- I think it's important for us to acknowledge mothers and fathers. Uh, families. So I, I'm not going to beat up on the fathers in this sermon, you know. But, but you know, I was thinking about why is that? Why, why is it that a lot of a lot of pastors do this? And I think it's because we feel that uh, we fall short as as fathers. I know that I have and I do fall short. You know, even as a, a father of, of adult children, I don't always pray for my children. The way I should. I, I don't always think about them the way I should. I I don't always uh, initiate contact with them as I sh- as I should. But I do my best. But I can do I can do better. Uh, I feel like I need to be challenged. So I'm going to pass this this challenge along to you. And rather than saying you know I just I challenge you to be a better dad. Or I, I challenge you, you know, in, in these areas, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I'm not going to do that. I've got one thing, one thing to challenge you with, and that is to be a man of prayer in, in your home. Be a man of prayer as, as a father. I, I read a uh, tribute that uh, former Attorney General John Ashcroft wrote about his father. He said, Many kids wake up to the smell of coffee brewing or the sound of a rooster crowing. My wake-up call was my father's passionate prayer filtering through the house. Sometimes I'd ease downstairs and join him. One knee was usually raised, so I'd, I'd slip in underneath, shielded by his body as he pleaded for my soul. I never, I never caught Dad praying for our happiness. He realized that the pursuit of happiness for all its own sake is a frustrating, disillusioning, and often futile effort. Happiness usually hides from those addicted to its sugar while it chases after those caught up in something more lasting than momentarily, momentary excitement. I never heard him pray for a bigger house, car, or bank account. Instead, he prayed for our hearts that our hearts would be ignited and inspired to do things of eternal consequence. Turn our eyes from the temporal, the the physical, the menial, he prayed, and toward the eternal, the spiritual, and and the noble. And uh, I I remember another sermon that I heard. We we lived in Ohio. This was back in uh, the mid-90s, and our our kids were, were little. And I don't remember, all I remember is one thing from the sermon. I don't know what the sermon was about. Perhaps it was a Father's Day sermon, but uh, our pastor, Jim Nelson, was, was talking about how we need to pray for our children. And as, as he was talking, he just stopped. And he said this, he said, I don't know why we wouldn't pray for our children. And then he resumed. And that, that one statement that, that he made has, has stayed with me ever since. You know, that was uh, 30 years ago, practically. 
you know, the, as a father, I need to be an intercessor for my children. I need to pray for them. As as a father, I need to uh, to pray for my wife. I need I need to pray with my children and with my wife. And I, I fall short. And if I'm transparent, I I will say that I've not always been the intercessor that I need to be. That's that's the challenge. That's why I include myself in this challenge. And I want to urge all fathers, including myself, to be men of prayer. Let's read from First uh, Timothy chapter two. And we're really gonna we're really gonna focus on uh, verse eight, but I'm gonna read from two, verse one through eight, where Paul talks about prayer being being intercessors. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Verse 8, I desire that men in every place should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarrel. Quarreling. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, um, I, I thank you for the fathers among us. Lord, I thank you that uh, you have uh, given me the privilege of, of being a father to uh, three children. Lord, I uh, I just ask you that uh, we would be changed today, Lord, that you would transform us, Lord, that we would be truly men of prayer in, in our houses. In Jesus' name, amen. So verse 8, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger and quarreling. So first of all, he says, pray. I, I urge that all men pray. Pray. Why do, why do we pray? And I've asked this question to people before, and usually people kind of scratch their head. You know, why? That's a, that's a good question. Have you, have you ever thought of that? Why, why do we pray? I think for many of us uh, who, who grew up from a young age in, in Christian homes, it was just part of the, the pattern of everyday life. When we would sit down at a meal, we, we didn't dare start eating without first uh, giving thanks. And Jesus has certainly give us, given us a, uh, an example of that. You know, before he broke bread, he, he gave thanks to the Father. You know, we, we, maybe we pray because it's, it's expected. Um, maybe... Maybe we feel obligated to pray, pray at bedtime because we grew up praying at, at bedtime. And many parents use little easy-to-remember prayers. Uh, now I lay me down to sleep. You've, you've heard that? Our family at dinner time, we, we prayed together. 
with every meal. And I, I still remember, uh, and it's even in kind of King James-ish. Come, dear Jesus, and, and be our guest. Bless the food thou hast given us. Given us. Uh, help us to be loving, kind, and true, faithful to thee in all we do. Amen. And we, we said that prayer at every meal for years. And uh, my, my grandpa used to kind of make fun of it. And I'm, I'm not going to recite the, pr- the prayers that he would pray, but, um, you know, he, he would kind of uh, make light of it. But why do parents do this? It's, it's to train their, their children, to train their children. And as I got older, you know, those, those recited prayers became kind of rote to me. And um, when I was when I was about twelve or thirteen, uh, God really uh, touched my heart. He gave me a love for His Word. He uh, gave me people in my life who who really were a, a good influence on me. My my uncle James, who is five years old older than me, not, not five years old, five years older than me, uh, was kind of a mentor to me. And so, you know, he introduced me to. Some people, and this was during the the Jesus movement days in in the seventies and I was around people who, when they prayed, it was like they were praying to a person like they were talking to a person and this i I realized yeah that's what that's what prayer is about and you know we we read in we read in um the Old Testament about Moses. Exodus thirty three eleven says the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as as a man speaks to a friend. As a man speaks to a friend. And uh, when we when we were in Arkansas, I used to mentor this this young man who was that same age. He was he was uh, thirteen. Josh is his name. And um, one day it's just this. Bing, the light bulb went on. He goes, Pastor Tim, I just realized when we pray, we're we're praying to a friend. I was like, Yes, yeah, I like that. That meant that's that's one of those things that's going to stick with me. It's, it's just awesome when our children realize that. So, why do we pray? Why do we pray? Let me let me throw out some suggestions. We we pray because we desire God. We we pray because we need God. We pray because we need his help. We we pray because we just desire to we we long to be in his presence. This this is what's meant by by seeking God's face. Seeking God's face it's it's desiring to be face to face with God just like Moses as with a friend seeking his presence Psalm 63 uh, I I love this psalm Um, oh God you are my God earnestly I seek you my soul thirsts for you my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where where there is no water we used to live in uh, the the desert. I don't know if the people who put the slides together read this read this verse, but we we 
we lived in Arizona where maybe it would go for months with, with no rain and how good it was when, when we finally got rain. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will, I will lift up my hands. I will lift up my hands. We pray because we hunger and thirst for God. We pray because we, we desperately need him. And when we don't pray, what are we telling God? We're, we're saying, nah, I don't need you. I got this. I'm good on my own. Uh, I, th- I think I've mentioned before that the sin of prayerlessness, or our lack of prayer, is our declaration of independence from, from God. I've heard people say things like uh, prayer. Prayer doesn't have any effect on God. The reason we pray is only because it changes us. I've heard people say, you know, God, God's going to do what he's going to do no matter what I do, so why should I even bother praying? I've heard people say that. And, um, you know, that's just not biblical. Now, prayer does change us. Prayer transforms us as we, as we get closer to God, as we further become conformed to, to the image of, of Christ through prayer. Absolutely, it has a changing, transforming effect on our lives. The closer we get, the, the more we learn to, to be like him. And biblically, though, we know that uh, prayer does change things. It, it is effectual, and it's necessary for, for God's people. If we look at James chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, it says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like uh, ours, and he prayed fervently, that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My, my grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa King, on my mom's side, they had a little plaque in their kitchen, kind of kitchen living room area, that said simply, prayer changes things. And I grew up, I grew up seeing that every time I went to their house. You know, do, do we believe in the efficacy of, of prayer? Does prayer change things? Do, do we really believe this stuff? Well, they, they had another plaque, by the way, that said, the family that prays together stays together. <laughs> we've, we've talked a lot about how the church itself is is a house of prayer remember when jesus came into jerusalem and drove out the money changers he said he quoted from the old testament my house shall be called a house of prayer for the nations as as a church we are to be a house of prayer it should it should permeate our our life as a church you know prayer prayer isn't the only thing that we do but it should be the first thing that that we do How about, how about if in our own homes, our, our homes are houses of prayer? 
How about if my house and your house is, is a place where Christ is honored, a place where God's face is, is sought? You know, how, how about if, if we as fathers truly take on the role of, of shepherd or, or pastor in our own homes? Would that be pleasing to the Lord? I think it would be. I know it would be. Let's look at some biblical examples of, of praying fathers, and there, there are plenty more you can you can find. But these are these, these are some of them that uh, kind of occurred to me as I was thinking about this. First, of course, is David. We know that David prayed. He he wrote half the Psalms, half of them, which you know the Book of Psalms is the the prayer book for for God's people. It's also the hymnal of God's people, you know. We can say that David's a good example to follow in, in this respect. We can also say that uh, we've got evidence that he prayed for his children. He prayed earnestly for his children. In Second Samuel 12, we see how David is praying for his, his baby child as, as his child was sick and, and dying. Second Samuel twelve sixteen says David sought God on behalf of the child. And David fasted and went in and lay all night on the ground. And the elder of his, elders of his house stood beside him to raise him from the ground, but he would not, nor did he eat food with them. Yeah, I, I love the way this is worded. You know, David sought God on behalf of, of his child. He, he fasted. He did some serious, serious intercession for, for this this child he 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 prayed in times of desperate need which we need to do and i've i've prayed like this for my children when they were in times of desperate desperate need you know we've 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 seen crises david did many of you i know that danny and gretchen are praying for uh, tomorrow right now In uh, in First Chronicles twenty nine nineteen, David prays for another one of his sons, Solomon. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all, and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. So David's praying for his son as as his successor as as king. He prays that God will, or he prays that Solomon will be faithful to God, that he'll that he'll keep God's commandments. You know, another example is is Job. I've always been really impressed with that first uh, chapter in Job, verse five, where it talks about Job interceding for his his children. Job 1.5 says, Job would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job says, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed gods in their hearts. Thus Job did continuously. So Job interceded for his children every once in a while. Uh, every, every so often. No, it says he, he did this continually. Continually. Man, we can we can learn a lot from Job. We we need to pray for our children. We need to be intercessors. Job cared about his children. He he carried he cared about their spiritual condition. He cared about their their standing, their relationship uh, with with God. 
you know, we can get some uh, good guidance on how to pray for people by looking at the prayers of, of Paul for the churches in, in the uh, epistles. For instance, uh, let's, let's look at Paul's prayer for the Colossian believers. And as I read this, uh, take note about how Paul is praying for them. Take note of what his emphasis for these people is. He says, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saint in light. This is a good example how we can pray for each other. But notice how he, he doesn't pray for he doesn't pray for what? Their their health. He doesn't pray for their, their financial needs. He doesn't pray that the persecution would end. You know, many of the things I think he could have prayed for, and I'm sure he did, but just not here. You know, his emphasis is on their spiritual condition, their relationship with with the Lord. This is how we should pray for each other. This is how, fathers, we should pray for our, our children. You know, this, this is what Job does when he intercedes for his children. This is what David does when he prays for Solomon. You know, these, these fathers care deeply about how their children are with God, their, their spiritual help. Something else we can notice is that as we look through the Bible, we see some prayers of blessing. We, we should pray for God's blessing on, on our children there's a there's a well-known general blessing that God commanded for the priests to say over all of God's people in Israel. Numbers 6, 22 through 27, this benediction. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. So this is a, a general prayer of blessing for the priests. We know as, as New Testament believers that uh, God has made us all priests. He's given us all the, this ministry of intercession. We should be praying blessing upon each other. Fathers, we should be praying blessing upon our, our children. An example of this is uh, Jacob's prayer. Now, there's there's a really beautiful custom that the, the Jewish people have on the Friday evenings of, of blessing their children before making a kedush, which is a blessing recited over wine or grape juice to sanctify the uh, the Shabbat, the Sabbath. And they place their hands on the head of each child's and child. And for the boys, they say, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. For the girls, they say, may God make you like Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah. And for all the children, they, they add that, that priestly blessing, which God asks for their protection, blessing, and grace. And so this, 
This custom has its biblical basis in uh, Genesis 48, 12, where Jacob, where Jacob blesses uh, Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. He blessed them that day saying, by you Israel will pronounce blessings saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. I think that's pretty cool. So we've talked about why we should pray. We've, we've seen some examples. Let's, let's look now at uh, verse 8 in, that, in our, our text. How should we pray? How should we pray? Paul says, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Let's, let's dig into that a little bit. What does it mean to, to lift holy hands? Uh, now, the, 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 Drew, the Jewish tradition is that uh, the hands need to be literally washed. They need to be ceremonial, ceremonially clean and, and ritually pure. I happen to know that the, uh, the Muslims have, have this same custom. I, I've been to a mosque and I've observed their, their prayer and they, they take off their shoes and wash their hands. Even today, modern Jews, according to the uh, code of Jewish law, they do this. But remember, remember back when Jesus was walking the earth, how the, uh, the religious leaders, the, the, the Pharisees, hassled Jesus about this. Matthew 15, 1, 2 says, The Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem, and they said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. And Jesus goes on to point out that, you know, really uh, it's, it's what's on the inside that matters versus what's on the, on the outside. So I would say Paul is not talking about this literal hand washing. He's not emphasizing ritual purification. It would go against his teachings if... if Jesus' teachings if he did. Rather, it's assumed that all men will pray in this, this customary Jewish manner with, with hands uplifted. And uh, mo- more importantly, that these hands belong to people, men, whose lives are consistent with God's holiness. That's why he says raise holy hands. Let's look at Psalm 24, 3 through 6. Who shall, dis- who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift his soul up to what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord in the righteousness and righteousness from God, the God of his salvation. Such is the generation who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. So these, these holy hands are, are lifted by, up in prayer to God. These hands belong to a man who has a, a pure heart. These, these hands belong to a, a man who lives in a truthfulness and integrity. They belong to a man who, who keeps away from, from idolatry. He, this man flees from idols that, that keep him from truly following God. Paul also excludes anger and, and quarreling. Now, what's, what's wrong with anger? There's, there's a, 
there's a book called um, Respectable Sins. And anger is, it, it, he, he's, he's, it's, it's kind of tongue in cheek. You know, these are, these are sins that maybe we're kind of okay with and we, we uh, rationalize them and we say, well, you know, my anger is justified. It's, it's righteous anger. I'm angry because of sin. But the thing is, may, that may be, but we cannot hold on to that anger. We cannot let that anger become a, a burden on us. I want, I want to look at uh, Hebrews twelve fourteen through 15, where it says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it that many become defiled. When we hold on to our anger, that becomes a a bitterness that just takes root. That's a burden we don't need to carry. Let's look at quarreling. Uh, the the, uh, the word in the original in Greek means uh, disputing and, and arguing. In uh, in First Timothy, Paul talks about people who have uh, what he calls an unhealthy craving for words. Paul lists controversies for quarreling about words. Excuse me, unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words. Paul lists as one of the requirements for for an elder that he he should not be quarrelsome. Same word. 1 Timothy 2.24 says the Lord's servant, which is all of us, the Lord's servant must must not be quarrelsome. I believe we can uh, rightly say that being a quarrelsome person is not a good thing. But you know, anger and, and quarreling, these... These point to uh, relational issues, don't they? You know, they, they can indicate uh, relational problems with others, which also indicate a, a relational problem with God. You know, in, in, the, in the prayer that Jesus gave us that we read together today, the, the Lord's Prayer, some, some call it the Disciples' Prayer, He says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. You know, if we're we're embroiled in anger and and quarreling, uh, it's going to affect our prayer life. It's going to affect the the efficacy of our prayer. Yeah, I might point out also that uh, this anger and quarreling must not be uh, directed towards God. You know, we, we should not be quarreling with God. We should not be angry with with God. You know, we need to have the same attitude that Jesus had where he said, not my will, but, but your will be done. Anger and, and quarreling are, are not consistent with the life of holiness that, that God requires of those who pray publicly and they also are counter to effective praying. Um, you know, we gave, we just started a, a series on the Sermon of the Mount last week, so we're 
We'll get back to that next week. But one thing we see over and over in the Sermon on the Mount is that uh, God cares about our hearts. He cares about our, our motives. If we have a heart of anger and bitterness and stubbornness and, and quarrelsomeness, our heart's not right. It's going to be detrimental to our, our prayer life. That's why Paul says, I urge that all men everywhere lift up holy hands without anger and quarreling. So when I give a sermon, you know, I preach it to myself before I ever preach it to, uh, to the congregation. You know, we, we all need to confess and turn away from, from these sins and let God cleanse us and, and make us holy. So fathers, fathers, let me encourage you to be men of prayer, men of prayer. Pray for your family, pray with your family. Um, experience God together as, as a family. Be a shepherd in your own home. You know, it's, it's having a close relationship with God that we'll be able to pray, lifting up holy hands without quarreling and anger. And our kids need to see this they need to see this as as a pattern of of our life you know our our default go-to should be prayer go to god you could have picked out a better better song than that last one you know what a what a privilege what 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 peace we often forfeit what needless pain we we bear because we do not carry everything to the lord in prayer i may i might have said that right i'm not sure (laughs) <laughs> but it is true, and, and that song is right on. When we, when we don't pray, um, we, we forfeit peace, we forfeit blessing, we forfeit our, our relationship to, uh, to our Heavenly Father. So let's draw close to him. Let's, uh, let's confess our sins. Let's let him cleanse us so that we may be men of prayer. Uh, let's pray. Um, Lord God, uh, you are, you're our heavenly father. You've, you've given us uh, the, uh, the supreme example of who a good father is and what a good father should be. I, I just thank you, Lord, again for the privilege of uh, fatherhood, the joy of being a, a father to uh, two beautiful young women and a great son. Uh, and even though, Lord, they're, they're now adults, uh, help me to... Uh, Help me to be a man of prayer. Help me to be a good example to my family, to my kids, to my wife. Help us all, Lord. And Lord, I, I, I just would pray that your blessing would be on these, these men here today who are our fathers. Lord, I pray that your blessing would be on our fathers. In Jesus' name, amen.